0: Hello and welcome to the not overreacting podcast. This podcast aims to tackle all things women's health from periods to endometriosis to hormones to fertility, you name it, we're going to cover it. It's my goal that this podcast contributes to ending the stigma around women's health and talking about periods. And I hope that you enjoy today's episode. I'm super excited to announce today's guest, Paralympic gold, silver and bronze medalist. Yep, she's got them all, Charlotte Henshaw. We're talking all things endometriosis as an athlete, all things periods in sport, and you're gonna absolutely love this episode. Hi Charlotte,
1: how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you, how are you?
0: I am doing well, thank you. Um, So I'm super excited to chat to you today. Um, My first question is probably not the the first question that you would normally ask
1: a Paralympic champion. Um, When was your first period? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I was um, 13 um, and I was at home. I remember it really clearly actually, because um, I had gone home for like a half day, I think. And I was going to, um, or it, maybe it was the night before, I can't remember, but it was, I was, I was at home and I know I was going for one of my prosthetic appointments, like either that day or the next day. And obviously um actually maybe not obviously but it requires kind of um when I go and get my prosthetics fitted and things like that I have to be putting my my legs on and off and as a bilateral leg amputee I I used to go a lot when I was growing and to go and get my legs sorted and I used to have to kind of get changed to and from like my legs when they've been repaired and I remember being quite apprehensive about going because like obviously i felt i must have felt quite exposed in a way and a bit uncomfortable about it and um so it's quite a vivid memory actually and it straight off the bat it was filled with anxiety around it which mm-hmm. um you know is not always not great
0: <laughs> yeah definitely that's so interesting and i love hearing people's first period stories i
1: like to break the ice with a with an ice yeah no, definitely. <laughs> I at the time feeling like i was quite far behind all of my friends like I remember some of my friends starting their period in like year six so they were 10 11 and Mm so 13 felt quite late um even though actually looking back like 13 you're still so young you know to deal with that
0: yeah absolutely so um how did you find um
1: training racing on your period so before I moved to canoeing I was a swimmer for many many years and it was a sport that I grew up doing um and so I was swimming when I first had my period and I think once I got to grips with sort of using tampons and things that was a real game changer for for me in terms of going to the pool um because I think prior to that I, I don't know whether initially I would just not go training on those days that I was on my period and then um obviously as I got better, I couldn't afford to be having four or five days out of training every month. So, Mm -hmm. um, it, it was always a bit of a, and I think it still is, you know, like when you go swimming, particularly when you're on your period and you're using a tampon, it's always that panic of, oh, can anyone see anything? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that was a real, it, there was a bit of a girl code when I was in in my swimming squad. So we'd always kind of keep our eyes on each other. Like if we kind of, we would speak about anything pretty much. And we'd always kind of know if someone was on their period and we, we'd kind of keep our eyes on them in a, in like not intense way, but just to look out for them to make sure that we kind of told them if there was anything that we thought they needed to kind of go and sort out. Um, and then as I progressed through my career, then I started developing symptoms, which I now know was endometriosis. And that's when my menstrual cycle really started to have an impact on my training. Um, in terms of just not being able to get out of bed, I had to withdraw from a competition at one point. And um, that's when those kind of issues really started as I kind of got towards my 20s.
0: Mm. yeah swimming is one of those sports where it's pretty savage pretty full-on for women um especially in the younger years um and I think it was where I did an episode with Hannah Miley shameless plug um and we were just saying that it was just so brutal um those like as soon as you get your period you're like how do I swim with this um so When I mean, you kind of touched on endometriosis a little bit. When did you first start suspecting
1: that you had endo? So, genuinely, I had not heard anything about endo, which I think is you know very common and something that we need to change. Um, I'd not heard of it until I was at least in my early 30s, so I had um i started having symptoms right sided pain um not not that that i had overly noticed was associated with my menstrual cycle i didn't used to track my menstrual cycle um think there was there wasn't apps when i was kind of going through those first initial stages of having symptoms and things so in swimming we never really tracked our cycle as such and i had no reason to do that also, um, I thought. And so when I moved over to canoeing um, in 2017, it was kind of when British sport has started to encourage conversation around uh, how the menstrual cycle affects female athletes, which it seems silly that we haven't thought about this more in depth before, because it's something that ha- can have a huge effect on training ability and um, performance. Um, so around that time we were encouraged to start tracking our cycle and it was through using the flow app actually that Mm -hmm. I started to notice that my pain was coming right in the middle of my cycle right around ovulation like clockwork every single month Mm -hmm. and so when I identified that those issues were starting to um, sort of manifest themselves regularly I ended up and kind of going and seeing someone about that. And that's when someone mentioned to me, have you heard of endometriosis? Because I think you might have it.
0: Mm-hmm. So that was
1: the first time. It took a long, long time to get that answer, which I know is a very common thing with lots of people.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I, like you, this time last year, I'd never heard of endometriosis. And, and now I've got a diagnosis and it's like, how do you go from not having even heard of it to then having to live with the, I mean, obviously before you were living with it, but um, to being aware that you're living with it. So I guess um, my next question for you
1: is what was your journey like to receiving that diagnosis? Um, Long, which again (laughs) is not a surprise and it's not an uncommon thing. Um, You know, I am textbook endo diagnosis, you know, that average of seven eight years was pretty much what it took to get to the bottom of bottom of my symptoms so um I think like I said the first time I really started having what I now know as endo symptoms was around 2013 and um it was painful bloating skewering pain in the lower right abdomen um and like I said I, I didn't have a, a knowledge of it being cyclical so I just kind of thought you know it was something that I just had and it maybe was training pains or whatever I was doing and then um I've been back and forth to the GP um classic IBS diagnosis and which I do have as well but that was what they said it was and I just merrily went away and cracked on um and then it was like I said I went to canoeing and it was during that time that we were encouraged to track our cycles and I started kind of noticing patterns. So I started keeping a log and I, all in this time, I was back and forth to the doctor um, having tests and everything was coming back fine. I had internal ultrasounds, I had colonoscopies, I had uh, sort of external ultrasounds, an MRI, nothing found obviously. Um, and I went to through the sport um, I'd been having some kind of stress incontinence issues when I was lifting heavily in the gym and pain. And so, you know, I'm really, really fortunate that we are um, provided with some like physio support and we could access female health physio through that pathway. And so during lockdown, actually, I did a a virtual sort of course of um, uh, not treatment, but investigation with, with a female health physio. And her daughter, funnily enough, had been diagnosed with endometriosis. And when I was telling her all this stuff, she said, it sounds like you've got endo. So then I could go back to the doctor sort of armed with a response to go, "Okay, well, it's not this. It's not this. It's not this. Somebody who's professional thinks it's endometriosis. Can we have, you know, can we go down that line of investigation Um, and then it still took another year and a half to to get the firm diagnosis but I I don't know how how about you but I felt like I had to really push for a diagnosis and I think like you hear that a lot don't you
0: yeah absolutely and that's definitely something that really needs to change is the fact that you shouldn't have to Push for just to be even taken seriously by a doctor. Um. So h- how how did you find the process of going for surgery? Obviously, you're a little bit different from the average Joe blogs. You have to train as your job. So how did you find going for surgery to get a diagnosis? So
1: that was really tricky. It was so I had gone to see a consultant in. The early, well, I was having that, that, that virtual consultation during lockdown. And so it must've been in that summer that I actually went to go and see, um, a gynae consultant and she said, you know, you need surgery. It's the only way we can find out whether it's this that you've got or not. And I immediately said, no, no can do the, um, the Paralympics are imminent. You know, the, the games have been delayed to 2021. So. I didn't want to volunteer to have um, a a surgery in my abdomen, um, be a surgery that could potentially take me out at least for three weeks, if not longer um, in a games year, because that was what I'd been working towards for at that point, four years. Mm. But then, you know, I was in so much pain I was missing days of training anyway through the pain and the inability to move the way that I need to, Um, you know, bleeding so much that my iron levels were sort of non-existent at points. And I was trying to train through all of this. And so actually missing three weeks to get an answer and then come up with a plan to to sort of manage that Mm. kind of decided as a team was worth taking that hit so we you know again very privileged that we have medical cover as an athlete so I'm very aware that this isn't everybody's experience with with medicine and access to surgery but the 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 real privilege that I had was to be able to pick when I had my surgery pretty much so that it didn't affect my training Mm -hmm. for as long as it might have um so I had it around the Christmas break. So I spent my Christmas, you know, with my stitches in and all of that lovely post-surgery feeling. Um, but I think the the biggest challenge for me, uh, like you say, as an athlete trying to come to terms with that was, you know, I, as soon as I knew I was having the surgery, I would go online and I would try and do as much research as I could about what it might feel like afterwards. Cause I've never really had surgery apart from when I was very, very young and, um, And the information that I could find was there was not much about people who are very active. And so when I was reading all these things, it was like, well, it might take three months for you to be able to walk up the stairs properly. And I thought, well, people can't walk up the stairs properly in three months. How am I ever going to be back in a boat in a, in enough time? And so that was part of the reason why I felt like I needed to speak out about it because there needs to be a wealth of experience out there because Mm -hmm. somebody then will be able to find something that they you know align themselves with they don't have to be a full-time athlete but they're very very active in their job or you know they're very very active in whatever they're doing outside of their work sometimes it doesn't marry up with the information that you find anywhere and I think it's useful to know that somebody who's of a similar fitness level to you or a similar job demand it has had this experience and so that's what I found quite tricky was finding that yeah
0: yeah I can absolutely re- I, I can absolutely relate about the Christmas surgery so my surgery was on the <laughs> 21st of December right. so I was what's that four days before Christmas so Christmas day was the first day that I actually wore clothes and not like pajamas yeah, um <laughs> but it was quite good to get out of the Christmas dishes
1: so it did have its perks at some, p- at some point at I, I but- did sit too- Christmas dinner I made the effort to kind of get dressed into not dramas but I made the mistake of taking jeans so I wore a long top and just sat with them sort of undone at the table um so no one could see but it wasn't over my stitches and you're right like I couldn't really help much so it was a very lazy Christmas that year because I just sat there and everyone brought me stuff but um yeah it that you know if you're going to have it, I think if you have the luxury of kind of choosing when you're going to have it down, that downtime was a really good time to have it because people tend to slow down anyway. And it it gave me that time to recover as I, as I needed to.
0: Yeah, you're definitely, you're so right. And actually it, it, I would agree with you that it was actually probably a pretty good time to have my surgery as well. Um, and you're so right about there not being much about athletes returning from surgery. Um, and that's something that I really struggled with as well was not knowing how to come back after surgery because I, like you, had never had surgery before. Um, for you, I mean, swimming and canoeing, they're both core sports. Yeah. Um, so how did you find recovering from an abdominal surgery?
1: Yeah. After, um, like, afterwards. Tough. So I... Kind of pre-surgery, I you know, the, the sporting world really does come through in in times like this. So I had mentioned to somebody who worked at canoeing that I was having this um surgery, and she knew somebody who worked on the British cycling team. And Eleanor Barker has been really um vocal with her experience of endo. And so she said, I'll see if she's happy to talk to Charlotte before she goes to her surgery. I've never met her before. I didn't know her. I had I not even come into contact with her, sort of in passing and bless her. She gave, um, gave the mutual contact her phone number and she said, call me. Um, she'd had a laparoscopy and then got back on the bike. And so I called her and I knew she was so generous with her time and her experience. And so just having that conversation a few days before my surgery was so helpful. Um, so I could kind of, picture what that return to training if you're doing core exercises what that looked like for her and so um that was really really helpful and that's why I would encourage anybody who's going to have the surgery to try and seek out somebody who's been through it who's in a vaguely similar situation to you um because little things that you wouldn't have even thought of like you know taking a pillow in the car to put between you and the seat belt I wouldn't have even thought of that but she you know said oh do this and um you know take all these different medications so it's easier when you recover and like that was really really helpful um the biggest thing for me was so my surgery my surgeon had to make a slightly bigger abdominal incision because I got such good ab strength that she couldn't get through my abs to get in to get the camera in so I I came to and she she'd only made two incisions I'd had an abdominal uh, the the belly button one and I'd had one on the lower left side so she could look at the right and um when she came to see me afterwards she said like don't be alarmed when you see your belly button incision she said it's a little bit bigger than we usually sort of do and, and she explained why and she said so it's a real testament to how well they've trained you because I couldn't get through your abdominal abdominal muscles. And I thought, well, that's quite nice that said, <laughs> like, you've got the strongest abs I've ever seen. Um, but she said it will take a little bit longer to, to heal because it was a bit more jaggedy than she normally would make. And so that was a bit tricky in terms of like wound healing, which again, being in a, a water sport outdoors, mm. being sort of exposed to infection was quite a big risk. So um I think I started moving like four five days post-op but and I was doing core exercises at home very very loosely and then I think I was back in the boat three weeks after my surgery which I was surprised at how quick that was but like you'll know that the body's amazing and once Mm -hmm. it starts to sort of you tickle along it actually didn't take as long as I thought um but then in on the flip side there were certain things that really slow going like the small simple movements were so difficult yeah. um I'm sure you'll you know appreciate that and um, and that was really frustrating but mm-hmm. um yeah it it was it was tough for sure really tough
0: yeah definitely um and am I right in thinking that you didn't actually it was just a diagnos- diagnostic lap that you had um so how have you been since that how have you obviously you'll have put measures in place to manage it but without having anything removed, how have you been?
1: Yeah. So I think that was always the plan. It wasn't, um, I gave consent for her to do what was needed. If it really, really desperately needed to be done. I said that they could do whatever they needed to do, but, um, my endo is it's only stage one, but where it is, is quite tricky to remove. So I've got adhesions all over my um uterus wall on the outside and so would be tricky to remove um without causing damage to the uterus i've got some kind of going towards my ureter and my bladder which again tricky to remove because it's near organs so she said that she would have had to have referred me to a specialist endocenter anyway to have that done so I kind of knew that I wouldn't feel miraculously better when I came round. But part of it was knowing that I, a, I hadn't been making all of this pain up for so long, I think. And I'm sure maybe you can relate, but I know I've read it a lot that, you know, when you come round from surgery and I kind of asked the recovery nurse, I was like, did they find anything? And she said, yes. And I felt so relieved because, which is weird, isn't it? Because you've essentially just been diagnosed with a condition that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And it's super painful and causes no end of problems. But I was happy Mm. and because I felt validated and I felt, right, okay, now we know what's going on. At least we know what we're dealing with. And so we've put measures in place. They put me on the pill, which has helped a little bit to be fair with my pain, but now we manage when I get my pain. We know how to alter my training accordingly. I don't just try and power through anymore um I've worked on you know strengthening other areas so that my core and my pelvic floor aren't doing as much as they were before, and um you know just being able just being able to understand when you're getting pain and why you're getting it is Mm -hmm. sometimes half the battle. It certainly was for me. Um, So I know that I'm going to have to have another surgery at some point. I know that. And just recently, my symptoms have started to get worse again, but at the minute I'm, I'm, I'm all right. And it's manageable. And at that point where the benefit of having the surgery outweighs how I'm feeling at Least I know the next course of action.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, if you felt similarly that you kind of absolutely, yeah. And everybody that I've spoken to has said the exact same thing mm-hmm. that they just came round and felt valid- validated when they heard. Um, yeah. and I guess that just speaks into the fact that they're like constantly pushing doctors just to try and get an answer um and like you said before MRIs come back clear and ultrasounds come back clear and blood works come back clear and you're almost thinking it's in your head um so you're absolutely right um let's talk about the power games Um, (laughs) I bet you that felt like a good comeback
1: (laughs) well I mean I I kind of once I came back from my surgery which was in I I got back on the water in the January and the the games were in the September so I think I missed a month of proper training um over the winter and so once I knew that I was well first when we knew that the games were definitely going ahead because obviously with COVID there was all talk that it wouldn't go ahead right until the last minute and so Mm -hmm. I almost didn't expect to race until I was sitting in my boat on the start line ready to do it because there were so many things that could yeah. have gone wrong or got in the way or I could have got COVID and been sent home from Japan or, you know, there was so much going on that everyone had to deal with at that time. Um, so not only did it feel incredibly special to be there because of what everybody had been through globally and you know, also incredibly grateful that we've been given the opportunity to, to do what we'd worked for for five years, And then I think it wasn't until afterwards that I was like, actually I've had quite a disrupted year and I've still managed to come here and, you know, fulfill my lifelong dream of becoming a parliament champion. So it was, it felt all whole host of emotions on that day. And I don't think I fully processed it for a a while afterwards, to be fair, because it was, you know, there was an awful lot going on, um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, but it was, you know, something that I'll never forget for sure.
0: Yeah, I, c- I can imagine. Um, so what's your plans now with going forward with your endo and with training and, and future racing coming up?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we've had to... Like, I had a little bit of period of time after my surgery and once I'd started the the meds and stuff. Um, of, it was pretty quiet endo-wise. Like, I didn't really notice much difference. And then, like I said, it was just recently... I've had probably more consistent flares um, than I've had for a long, long time. So, you know, again, I'm incredibly fortunate that we've got um, a program at British Canoeing that are very open to talking about menstrual health and all of the things that come alongside it. We really pushed as an athlete group to, to get that to be a more accepted topic of conversation with our staff and they've been brilliant with that and so our coaches are open to the dialogue around how you're feeling at that particular point um so I've got people around me that are helping me to kind of come up with things that can help me do what I can on the days that I feel like I can't do things 100% um so We modify stuff when we need to. We also have come up with a plan for post-travel because that tends to kick off my symptoms a little bit. Um, And obviously quite oftentimes that means we've traveled to compete. So then we need to have a strategy for if I feel not great on a day that I'm racing and what that looks like. Um, Because obviously I don't want to have to withdraw if I can help it. Um, So I think it's more about trying to come up with management strategies I guess that's what we're doing now um and we'll be doing that certainly up until Paris which is next year hopefully I'll be able to be on the team there um and then what comes after that I, I don't know if I'm carrying on I might be able to take a bit of time out and have that surgery that I probably do need um but that's a conversation for sort of post 2024 I think when I've got a bit more time to see what what that looks like
0: yeah it's absolutely crazy to think that Paris is next year um just hearing you say that I'm like what we just had a games but um yeah you're you're so right about the conversation around periods and sport changing and I think that that's something that's definitely starting to change now is that we're starting to hear people talk about periods more and we're starting to hear more athletes like yourself talking about periods and, and um, it's even hitting the headlines, which is great. And, and I'm intrigued
1: as to what you think about that. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a brilliant shift. I mean, like I said before, like we uh, as athletes and, you know, even in non elite sport you are constantly trying to look at things that can make you that tiny percent better whatever that is whether your goal is to go to the Paralympic Games or whether your goal is to do you know a a park run on a Saturday or whatever it is if you're involved in activity I'm pretty sure that most people do it because they want to be better Mm -hmm. and so you constantly are trying to find things to to sort of tweak and manage so that you can improve and so the fact that we've overlooked something that happens to the majority of people, female athletes, um, and we haven't kind of unearthed what impact that can have is madness to me. Mm -hmm. So the fact that now that conversation is starting, how does being on your periods, you know, affect the numbers that you can lift in the gym? Because try as you might, this one particular point in your cycle, you know, Hormonally, scientifically, you're going to be struggling to lift the same as you were at this point. Mm. And identifying that is probably massively useful because, at least, it then, if an athlete knows, okay, I'm at this point of my cycle, I tend to feel like this, I'm probably not going to be able to lift that heavy, it either stops going in trying to do it and getting injured, or it stops that mental kind of frustration of, why can't I do this? And it, it just creates conversations that make performance so much easier to try and improve. Mm-hmm. And so I think it can only be a good thing that we are more open about it in every sphere. And that has to be from the men in sport also, because there's a lot of male coaches, a lot of male S&C coaches, your teammates that perhaps don't understand You know what's going on at this particular point, and so the the more open we can be about stuff like that, I think the better. And so I think it's a brilliant step forward, and we need to continue making steps. Mm. Um, In terms of like talking about, uh, like conditions like endometriosis, I think that hopefully can have a huge impact on a if it's awareness that this is a condition that a lot of people have and this is what it feels like it's not just a painful period and not many people can just crack on and deal with it um if it encourages people in parliament to talk about how they're funding research into endometriosis if it encourages conversation in different areas then i i hope more athletes feel like they can share their stories um Cause it certainly helps on so many levels. I I've certainly found.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and I have, I guess I have one last question before we wrap up. Um, what would your tips be for any female athlete who maybe doesn't have endo, but just struggles with their periods?
1: Yeah. I, well, I think what, what I just alluded to is if you feel comfortable have the conversations with the people that have an impact on your your career on your sport on your progress um it might be a bit uncomfortable to start with but I think the more that we encourage people to talk about it the less uncomfortable it becomes and then it just becomes part of everyday conversation no one turns their noses up when people say period and no one gets all squeamish and funny it's just part of life and it's what we talk about and it's part of being an athlete and so that would be my first one is to try and encourage conversation around it because it's only going to help you in the long run and um, and I'd also you know listen to what your body's telling you i've learned that in so many areas as i've got older as i've been in sport longer it, your body's pretty good at telling you what it needs and if you know that something's not right or something needs to change then that's probably what needs to happen and it's probably something that you need to get investigated or it's something that you need to tell somebody about or again have that conversation about I think um we don't do it enough is listening to what our bodies are telling us and that we need to start doing that more
0: yeah absolutely I 100% agree with you on that um so but before we finish if anyone wants to find out and follow your journey
1: to hopefully Paris um where can they find you so I use twitter and instagram and i'm at c henshaw gb on both of those platforms um and i tweet a lot about or i don't tweet i tweet i uh, instagram a lot about my cat about canoeing about endometriosis about theater so if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in then uh come on over <laughs> I love
0: that um thank you so much Charlotte it's been such a great time chatting with you I could chat with you all
1: day but I'm sure you've got places to be thank you for having me and thank you for you know doing this podcast I think it's again it like I said it's so important that people talk about it and you know podcasts like this encourage people to to either listen and learn or share how they feel in their own little world so um yeah just well done to you for for doing it
0: hope you enjoyed today's podcast if you did please be sure to follow us for more and review us uh, it really supports our podcast also feel free to check out our instagram page at not overreacting podcast to keep up to date with all things related to the podcast we hope you have an amazing day bye guys